Okay. All right. We're going to turn the corner. One more thing to let you know. Um, so if you know eBay, you know that one of the loves of eBay's life is cheesecake. And so um, um, we are going to have cheesecake for all of you after service today. And uh, so you're invited to stick around uh, for that immediately following the service. I had a little peek in the fridge, and there's a lot of cheesecake. Good cheesecake. So, so uh, yeah, you're welcome to stick around for that. Um, I want to take us on a little bit of a journey this morning to kind of get where we're going to land at the end here. Um, so, so stick with me. But, um, you know, it happens quite a bit in life where we think we know what's going on, and, uh, but in reality, we don't. Things aren't quite as they seem to be. Um, this last, uh, last Sunday for Christmas, uh, the biggest present under the, the tree was actually, it had my name on it. And uh, I just took that as confirmation that I was the best Warner this year from Santa. But, um, <laughs> but it had my name on it, so I go to open it, and uh, how we did things this year is we all drew names, and so everybody got one name, and Presley had my name. And so I go to open it, and it's one of the, it's a classic, like you open the gift, and there's another gift inside of it, and you, you open that gift, and there's another gift inside of that, and you open that gift, and there's another gift inside of that, and we could go on for hours this morning, but you get the point. Like, there was a lot of gifts, and it went from like a gift about probably this big down to a gift that was like really, really small, which was awesome, because it was a Kindle Paperwhite, which was exactly what I wanted for Christmas. So good. Um, this last uh, week, one of the things that we did with our, some of our family is we got to Mount Baker, and we did some, uh, uh, some, of, some of us are skiers, and some of us are snowboarders, but we were on the hill, and uh, amazingly, on the hill, it's very rare to bump into somebody that you know, because, you know, everybody's got face masks on, and all that kind of stuff, so you, you're probably going past people all day that you know, but you don't even know it. Well, on the last run of the day, I'm going down the hill, and I go past somebody, and it, it looks like Jessica, Jessica from the Keys, if you're new here. And I, I stop, and I'm like, she had her, her, her goggles on. It was snowing that day. I'm like, Je Jessica, is that you? And she's like, she didn't recognize me at first because I had goggles on. I'm like, it's Rich. Oh, it's Rich. And, and, uh, and I said right away, I don't, I don't recognize who you're with. And then Mark was there, her son, and so he pulls up his mask, and it's like, it's Mark. And there was another guy there that was, uh, I was kind of waiting for her to introduce me to this other guy that was, that was seemingly with them. It was just the, the five of us, and this, like, there was nobody around us at all. There's just the, the, the three of them, and, and me, and Taylor, uh, Leah. And so I was waiting for her to introduce me to this guy. Turns out she was also waiting for me to introduce her to this guy. <laughs> <laughs> Because we found out this morning before service that neither of us knew who this guy was. <laughs> and he was there. I mean, he was like in the conversation. He was just, it was the funniest thing. But, you know, things are not always as they seem. We thought that, we thought that this was maybe Mark's buddy, and they thought that maybe it was Aaliyah's buddy, but it was just some random guy on the mountain <laughs> that was very conversational and friendly. <laughs> um, uh, this past week, Becky and I, we went to the movies. We saw the, the new Whitney Houston movie. And uh, Whitney Houston has got a bit of a special place in, in, in our hearts because, well, Whitney Houston has always been one of Becky's favorite singers. Uh, we have this video of Becky when she was probably 15 or 16 years old, and she's singing the greatest love of all. Maybe someday we'll show it here. 
But, uh, <laughs> but at our wedding, so one of the songs, uh, in our wedding, right in the middle of the whole ceremony, uh, Becky gets past the mic, and she starts singing this song that I didn't know she was going to be singing to, to me at our wedding. Well, it was also Whitney Houston's song, uh, I Believe in You and Me. And so Whitney Houston's always kind of had this, this special place, so we heard that th there was a movie coming out, and so this last week we, we went and saw it. It was me, two other dudes, and a whole bunch of ladies <laughs> in the movie theater. But uh, if you had followed her life, you, you kind of knew that she had some, some issues and was, had gone through a lot of stuff, but, but um, watching the movie, you realize, oh, wow, there was a, a whole lot more stuff going on than, than most people even realize, just a lot of brokenness. And here's this lady who had all this wealth, all this fame, all this seeming what looked like happiness on the outside, but she was going through all kinds of stuff behind the scenes. And things did not appear, or they, they were different than they appeared to be. And of course, we see this happen all the time with people where, you know, you look on the social media f feed, and it's, here's this mom and the kids, and it's just all you see is, is all the happiness and activities they're doing together, but behind the scenes, she's just falling apart. Or you see a couple in, in all their, their smiling, happy pictures of their vacations and all this kind of stuff, and it just, you look at that couple or family used to go, they got it all together, and things were just hunky-dory, and oh, we could, we could just be like that, but little do you know that it's actually things are very broken and on the border of collapse behind the scenes. In life, we, we all have this tendency to see things in a way that doesn't necessarily line up with reality, where things are not, not as they seem. And of course, we have different sayings for, for, for this whole thing that happens. We talk about how you can't judge a book by its cover, because the cover doesn't necessarily reveal how the book is, or all that glitters is not gold. Things are not, not always as they seem. And nowhere does this happen more than when it comes to, to things of, of faith and how the world actually is. There is a seen world, and there's an unseen world. There's the world that includes the bed you sleep in, the roof over your head, the table in the kitchen. It includes your job that you work, the school you attend, the friends you hang out with, the places you go, the church you attend, the city that you live in, all that, that scene stuff. And it might seem like this is all there is, but there's, there is more than meets the eye. There is a whole different world that is unseen, and it's the world that has to do with God. It's the world that has to do with angels, the devil, demons, this whole different world where there's spiritual forces of good and evil. This past Sunday was Christmas, and this isn't really a Christmas uh, sermon this morning, but I do want to use the Christmas story to help us see how real the unseen world is. There's really, there's three stories of the birth of Jesus in the Bible. Um, two of them, uh, very common. We've spent a lot of time in them the last uh, month. One of them's found in the book of Matthew. The other one's found in the book of, of Luke. And uh, these first two stories are the ones we hear about the most when people think of the Christmas story. What do they tend to think about? They think about Mary, Joseph, baby in the manger. Uh, they think about shepherds and, and no place in the inn, all that kind of stuff, wise men, things that have to do with the, the seen world. But in the third story about the birth of Jesus— it's actually a completely different scene. In fact, if I were to read this story to you this morning out of context and not give you any kind of context to what this, this story, you would probably think that I was reading something out of Lord of the Rings 
or the Chronicles of Narnia. It's a story that actually sounds more like a Hollywood summer blockbuster than it does a story out of the Bible. And the text that I want to read is found in the book of Revelation. Revelation is the very last book in the Bible. And a lot of it is very difficult to understand. Scholars have debated for centuries what this text means. Is it a prediction of the future? Is it more of something that has already taken place? But the, the, the whole book of Revelation is this prophetic vision that was given to this guy named John. John was one of the disciples, one of the close disciples of Jesus. He had been exiled um, in that day on an island called Patmos. And while he was on this island, God just drops this crazy, wild vision on him. And he wrote it down, and that, that's the book of Revelation. And it's this vision that he has. And, and John writes in Revelation chapter 12, he says this. He says, Then I witnessed in heaven an event of great significance. I saw a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon beneath her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant, and she cried out because of her labor pains and the agony of giving birth. Now, this section of, of Scripture, not only this one, but the, the bit we're going to read in a, in, a, in a bit here, is there's a lot to it that we are not going to unpack all of it this morning. But suffice it to say that a lot of Revel the book of Revelation and a lot of prophetic type texts in the Bible are, are layered and that they, they have multiple, multiple meanings. So uh, if you take some of the Old Testament prophetic verses that, that talk about the birth of Jesus, they are talking about the birth of Jesus, but they are also talking about some other things. This is one of those texts where there are, there are multiple layers to what this text means, but, but uh, most Bible scholars believe that this lady symbolically represents, um, one of the things that she symbolically represents is Mary, the mother of Jesus. And this is describing the moment that she's about to give birth to Jesus. So John goes on to describe what else he saw. He says, then I witnessed in heaven another significant event. This is where we get very Lord of the Ringsy right here. I saw a large red dragon with seven heads and ten horns with seven crowns on his head. His tail swept one-third of the stars in the sky and he, he threw them to the earth. He stood in front of the woman as she was about to give birth, ready to devour her baby as soon as it was born. This isn't exactly silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright. No, this is, like I said, it's Lord of the Rings material right here. There's a baby about to be born, and a big, bad, ugly dragon is ready to devour this, this baby the moment that it's born. I've yet to find this version of the Christmas story on a Christmas card that gets sent at Christmas time. It's not, it hasn't shown up in a Christmas carol just yet. The story continues. She gave birth to a son who was to rule all nations with an iron rod, and her child was snatched away from the dragon and was caught up to God into his throne, and the woman fled into the wilderness. So what we've read so far describes the birth of Jesus right up to his ascension, where he's seated on a throne in heaven. Now listen to what happens next. Then there was a war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and his disciples, and the dragon lost, or dragon and his angels, and the dragon lost the battle, and he and his angels were forced out of heaven. This great dragon, it's going to reveal who this dragon is, the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, the one deceiving the whole world, was thrown down to the earth with all his angels. 
And then we're going to skip ahead a little bit in this chapter. Listen to how the story concludes. And the dragon was angry at the woman and declared war against the rest of her children. Who are those children? All who keep God's commandments and maintain their testimony for Jesus. Things are not always as they seem to be. God sitting on a throne, uh, an ancient dragon called the devil, angels and demons in a war of epic proportions. And I know some of you listening are going, Rich, really, like, you believe in, in all that, that stuff? Like, really? Like, that's stuff you believe in? To which I would respond and say, you, really, you don't? You don't? Let me just give you three non-biblical pieces of evidence that are, are pretty powerful pieces that, that say there is an unseen world that we, we can't even see. One of those, those things is there's just too much evil in the world to not believe that there's an unseen world out there. Did you know that, that there are more people enslaved today than at any other time in history? There are 50 million people around the world that are in slavery today. That's evil. That, and that's to say nothing of all the horrific atrocities that have happened around the world just in the last 100 years alone. That's to say nothing of, of suicide, of murder, of deadly diseases, greed, corruption, abortion, addiction, all kinds of evil. There's just too much evil in the world to not believe that there's an unseen world out there. And another, another piece of evidence is the, the seen world itself is evidence of the unseen world. Here's what I mean by that. By that. Someone created the world. Someone, someone's mind had to come up with DNA and atoms and gravity and the intricacy of the human body and oceans and planets. Somebody's mind had to come up with that. There's this famous scientist. His name is uh, Francis Crick. He was the guy that initially discovered DNA. He's also a very, very devout atheist. Um, won a Nobel Prize. But listen to what he said. He said, biologists must constantly keep in mind that what they see was not designed, but evolved. And, and what this brilliant biologist is saying is that there's so much evidence in science People often say science and God are opposed. No, 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 they're not. Science reveals God. And he's saying there's so much evidence in science for the existence of God, or as he put it, a designer, that you have to constantly convince yourself that there isn't a designer. There's so much evidence that he's saying. And this kind of outright refusal to believe the obvious is itself another piece of evidence that the unseen world exists. You know, if I were to stand up here like this and say, hey, I, I don't believe that all of you exist because um, I can't see you, um, what, what's that going to lead you to believe? It's going to lead you to believe that, uh, well, Rich, we can see that someone is clearly blinding you. In fact, Rich, it might surprise you, but you're blinding yourself. <laughs> but it's, if I say I can't see you, it does not mean that you exist. It means that I'm being blinded to the obvious if I can't see 
And, and this is what's happening according to Scripture when, when it comes to truth, when it comes to brilliant Nobel Prize winning scientists who, who have to work hard to ignore the evidence of a designer. The Bible actually says, Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe, and they are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. It's actually not naive, and I just would really encourage all of you students in the room who are maybe in schools or getting ready to go to colleges where you're going to be made to feel like you're naive or foolish for believing in an unseen world. It's actually not naive and foolish to believe in an, in an unseen world. It's naive and foolish to not believe in an unseen world. And don't ever let anybody try to convince you to the opposite. An old preacher once said that the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world that he doesn't exist. And, and going back to the Christmas story, it's a reminder about a lot of things, but one of the things that we, we often miss is that it's a very big reminder of the unseen world, a very big reminder. This unseen world, it, the Christmas story, it, it's, it's this unseen world, and, and we see it breaking into the scene world. You have angels that are showing up in the scene world with visions and dreams and just showing, showing up in the sky with, with shepherds, and, and then you have the the. the the evil showing up, the, the unseen evil showing up, and that just after Jesus is born, there's this horrific evil that takes place in Bethlehem as Herod goes, I'm gonna, I gotta find this future king. I'm gonna take out all the babies, baby boys, two years and younger. This horrific evil invades the, the seen world. But then, of course, there's the, the unseen that is so gloriously seen and that God himself invades the seen realm as a baby boy come to save. Things are not as they appear. There is a world out there that you cannot taste, feel, hear, touch, or smell. You and, and you and I, we exist right smack dab in the middle of this cosmic story that is playing out in real time as surely as you and I are sitting in this room with these four walls, this cosmic story is playing out in real time. On one side, you have the devil and his armies. He's not in a good mood, by the way. In fact, according to Revelation 12, we didn't read this verse, but according to this verse, it says he is filled with fury because he knows that his time is short. And his game plan is very simple. He's got, he's got one plan. It's to steal, kill, and destroy. He's out to steal your freedom. He's out to steal your joy. He's out to destroy your kids. He's out to destroy your family. He is out to steal, kill, and dis destroy. He wants war. He does not want peace. And on the other side of this unseen world is God and the armies of heaven. His game plan is, is, is very simple and clear as well. He came to bring life and life to the full. He is out to restore. He is out to heal. He is out to bring freedom. And in Christ, Scripture says that he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. So we're not to live in fear because of this world, because the Bible declares that if God is for us, who can be against us? We have victory in Jesus. We are not defeated, but instead, you and me, we are overcomers in Christ Jesus. But the forces of good and the forces of evil are at war. And, and listen, the ground that they're at war over is not, doesn't have anything to do with dirt and borders. The ground that they are at war over are the souls of men and women 
And the reason that it's so important, you may be going, why are we having this on New Year's Day? Like, what, what's the, what, is, what is this all about? Why do I need to know all this stuff? The reason that it's so important to be aware of this unseen world is, is, is because you and me are called to play a key part in this epic battle that's happening. We are called to play a part. I know, I know that that is astounding and amazing and almost too incredulous to believe, but we are called to play a key part in this battle that is happening. We are called to fight alongside God and his angel armies. And to be ignorant of this, to be passive or disengaged would be a mistake. What do we do? We fight. Well, Rich, how in the world do I fight alongside God in the armies of heaven in this, this battle in this unseen world? Well, the Bible actually gives us a lot of instructions. Some of the best instructions are found in the book of Ephesians chapter 6, where it says, Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against, and that's the key part, we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. The battle is not against uh, your teacher, or the battle is not against your spouse, or the battle is not against some politician that you don't like. That we don't fight against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. There's a few ways that we fight. First is this. We fight by understanding that it's not our might or power that brings victory, but it's God's. You, you have to get that. We, we, all we do is kind of what the disciples did. We just bring, we've got some small, a little bit of loaves of bread, and we got some, some small fish. We bring those to God, and we say, God, here you go. It's not by my might, it's not by my power, but it's by your spirit. We bring those to God, and then we let Jesus do the rest. That's how we fight. It is not our amazing faith that brings victory. That's why Jesus said, if you just have faith as small as, you just need a little tiny, tiny, tiny bit of faith the size of a mustard seed, and I'll work through that to move mountains, Jesus says. People often will make the mistake of thinking that verse is about the faith. No, it's actually about Jesus, the size of our God, and the size of just how he can do the impossible with just a little tiny, tiny bit that we, that we bring him. It's not our amazing faith. It's not our good church attendance. It's not dependent on how long we've been following Jesus. It's not how nice our prayers are. It's not the number of Bible verses we have memorized. We aren't strong in ourselves. The Bible says, but be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. The first way we fight is by understanding this is not about us. This is about the God that we serve, the God who, who's overall, the God who reigns, who's on his throne. The second way that we fight is by putting on the armor of God. And we're not going to get into this this morning, but Ephesians 6, uh, following these verses that we, that we just read, it tells us what the armor is. The armor is things like the breastplate of righteousness, of right living. It's the helmet of salvation. It's the belt of truth. It's the armor of God. It's living by the word of God. The, these are how we arm ourselves. The, these are weapons. And then lastly, we fight this battle in prayer. 
Ephesians 6, 17. I want to read what the message translation says here. It says, God's word is an indispensable weapon. In the same way, prayer is essential in this ongoing warfare. Pray hard and long. Pray for your brothers and your sisters. We arm ourselves so that we're ready to fight on behalf of those under the enemy's domain. We fight for the salvation of our family and friends. We fight for their freedom from sin. We fight for their joy, for their peace. And it's through prayer that we pray for them to walk in the plans and the purposes that God has for their lives. We fight through prayer. Parents, do you want your kids to know and follow Jesus? I'm going to be brutally honest with you this morning. Invitations to church and the occasional lecture here and there is not going to be enough. It's not going to be enough. You have to fight this battle in prayer. You have to. Do you have a family who's, who's losing hope and falling into despair? Encouraging texts and dropping in with visits, those are good and helpful, but they're not enough. You have to fight that battle in prayer. Do you have friends or family who are, who are, who, who are th that's them, they're just blind to the truth and you just don't get it and you just try to explain to them all this kind of stuff. You've got all the, the books and all that kind of stuff that, that you can think of. It's not enough. They can't see, the Bible says, because the God of this world has them blinded. And you can't go up and remove his hands on your own. No, you do that through prayer. You have to fight the battle in prayer. Is our church in need of breakthrough, revival, a move of God? Listen, showing up on Sundays, having good preaching, having good worship, having good hospitality and kids, all that stuff is not enough. It's not enough. You have to fight the battle in prayer. Does our city and our nation need awakening? Do we need the favor of God? Do we need the mercy of God? Do we need the healing hand of God on our nation? Absolutely. But everything we do is not going to be enough. We fight this battle in prayer. It won't happen. Awakening won't happen until God's people, Scripture says, 2 Chronicles seven fourteen, humble ourselves. We confess our sins and we pray. So much of the fight against the enemy is waged in prayer. And, and one of my favorite quotes on this, and, and you've heard this from me before if you've been around, but it comes from author and pastor John Piper, and he says this. He says, life, life is war. That's not all it is, but it is always that. Our weakness in prayer is owing largely to our neglect of this truth. Prayer is primarily a wartime walkie-talkie for the mission of the church as it advances against the powers of darkness and unbelief. It is not surprising that prayer malfunctions when we try to make it this domestic intercom to call upstairs for more comforts in the den. God has given us prayer as a wartime walkie-talkie so that we call headquarters for everything we need as the kingdom of Christ advances in the world. Prayer gives, gives us the significance of frontline forces and gives God the glory of a limitless provider. The one who gives the power gets the glory. Thus, prayer safeguards the supremacy of God in missions while, we, while linking us with endless grace for every need. It's a wartime walkie-talkie. 
And whether you believe it or not, whether you like it or not, you are in the middle of a great battle. And, and not only are you in it, but the person sitting beside you is in it. The person in front of you and behind you is in it. Your family is in it. Whether they know it or not, your family is in it. Your friends are in it. They're all in it. And the choice that, that we all have is to do nothing or to engage and do something. And, and doing something, it starts with, you can't get around this. It starts by putting your faith and trust in Jesus and saying, okay, I, I, I'm going to put my faith and trust in Jesus. I'm going to put my faith and trust in the work that he did on the cross. I don't defeat the enemy. No, he's the one through the cross. He's the one that did the work for me. It starts by putting your faith and trust in Jesus and overcoming the enemy through the work that Jesus did on the cross. But then from there, doing something, and you pick up the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, and you go to battle in prayer. You go to battle in prayer. For the last few years, we've kicked off the new year as a church by coming together for a month of prayer and fasting. And um, as, as your pastor, you know, one of the reasons that I think in the, in the last few years that we've, we've done this, and, and it's always, prayer is always going to be about this as well, but kind of the heart for it was really just wanting to see us, like, draw closer to God and get to know God more and hear God. And, and, and like I said, prayer is always that. But this year, there's a, there's a part of me that, that is... Um, I'm not sure why I'm getting emotional right now, but there's a part of me that's agitated and, and, and even angry that the devil is having a heyday in so many people's lives. Not just, not just here within our church family, but in our city, and, and not just in our city, but our nation, and you look around the world and stuff. It gets you kind of angry, like a holy angry, like a, 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 a righteous just ticked off at what, what he's doing. And I'm sensing that, that the Holy Spirit is saying that it's time for us to go to war. It's time to stop fighting the battle in our own strength. And it's time for us as a church to start fighting it in his strength. And I feel like God is saying it's time to go to battle and not, not go to battle on our own, but go to battle together as a church. And as a, as, even as I was thinking about, about this and um, praying into it, I just was even like feeling like, you know, God wants some of you to know you've been, you've been trying to fight the battle for your kids on your own, but God is saying, no, it's time to come together as a church and let's go to battle for our kids and for their salvation and our families. And let's not fight that battle on our own. Let's fight that battle together in his strength. And the way that we do that is through faith-filled prayers. And so here's what's going to be happening for the next 20 days, and I want to invite all of you into this. Um, myself, our church leadership, we're, we're, we're calling us as a church to 21 days of prayer, not just 21 days of prayer, but 20, 21 days of prayer and fasting. Well, Rich, fasting is where I draw the line. Like, I'll pray, all that kind of stuff, but let's— Fasting, that's for like super Christians and the disciples of Jesus, all that kind of stuff. 
No, I'm calling all of us to 21 days of prayer and fasting where we get, we get serious about going to battle on behalf of our family, our friends, our church, our city, our nation, and people around the world. That's what God's calling us to. Where, where we put away prayer for the next three weeks as a domestic intercom where we're calling God for more comforts, and we bring out prayer as a wartime walkie-talkie. It's like, God, we're getting serious here about engaging in the battle. And so here's how this is going to look over the next few weeks. Um, maybe you're hearing about this for the first time. Maybe some of you have seen it on our social media. We've been talking about it a little bit. But if this is your first time hearing about it, today is actually day one of the 21 days of prayer and fasting. It's going to be the first 21 days of, of this month. And so how it's going to look, there's going to be different components of it. But Monday through Friday, for the next three weeks, this room here is going to be open. Um, it's, we're going to have music on, worship music, and it's going to be open for you to come down here and pray. It's not going to be any kind of like corporate prayer. It's going to be just going to be here. You can come. Um, there's going to be other people in the room. And uh, we'll have some worship music playing. And you can come down here anytime from 12 to 1 over the next three weeks, Monday through Friday. So that's one way you can get involved. Um, another thing we're going to be doing is every the first three Wednesdays of the month, starting this coming Wednesday, we are going to have a corporate prayer meeting um, from 6 to 7, I, or 7, 7 to 8, 7 to 8 uh, here in the building. And that will be a little more organized and structured, and uh, you're, you're invited to be a part of that for the next three Wednesdays. The th and then the third Wednesday of this month is uh, the day to pray where you can actually go online on our website, and if you go on our website and do a search for data pray, you can sign up for a, a chunk of time there. And uh, the, the whole idea is to get the is to get 24 hours on that data pray, where someone's praying at some point in 24 hours, that whole 24 hour period. And and then that last Wednesday, that third Wednesday, we're gonna meet back here at seven o'clock for another time of of corporate prayer. Um, and then the other way that you can get involved is by praying and fasting in your own, your own time. And uh, maybe for some of you, the whole idea of fasting is just brand new. And you're, you're, you are that kind of feeling like, okay, that's just, that's just way out of my league or whatever. I encourage you to figure out, so this is really, this is really the heart of what fasting is. Um, it's, it's not complicated. Um, it's really where you're just creating space in your life, space in your soul, to seek more of God. You want to know Him more, more of His presence, more of His fruit, more of His, his working in your family, in your city. And so you, you fast. You fast. You, you, you put aside something in order to have more of God in your life. And so typically when people think fasting, they think, okay, that means I can't eat any food at all. I just, it's just water for however long the fast is. Um, maybe you think Jesus fasting in the, the desert for 40 days, and you're just like, I don't know if I can go with just water for 40 days. Um, I've never done a 40-day water-only fast. Like, I, I, that scares me. But, um, but fasting can be anything. It can be, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put aside social media. So part of what I'm going to be fasting for the next 21 days is social media. I'm going to put aside social media. I'm going to put aside sweets. I'm going to put aside, uh, but put that one aside after this afternoon and cheesecake. But... Um, <laughs> whatever it is, you're going you're gonna to put aside 
maybe football, maybe, maybe a, uh, something that you watch on TV. It doesn't have to be a certain thing, but it's just a matter of going, okay, I'm going to put aside this thing. I'm going to, uh, something that you, you're going to sacrifice something that, that takes your time and attention. You're going to sacrifice that so that you can pursue God on a, on a greater, greater level. And so I would just, I'd ask you, let's, let's as a church, let's do that together. And, and, and maybe this afternoon, you just take some time to think about that. What, what could that be that you, that you fast? And, and I just would encourage you to make it something that actually is meaningful to you. So don't say, I'm going to fast all trips to Europe this year. And you, you don't ever go to Europe, you know? Like that, that just wouldn't really, really matter. You got to do something that, that matters to you, something that matters to you, something that is actually part of your life where you say, I'm going to put this aside to create more space in my soul to seek, to seek more God. Things are not as they seem. Don't let yourself get, get, get into this place where you forget that you are in the middle of this epic battle. And, and sure, you can do nothing in that battle, um, but your life and the lives of those around you are dependent on you engaging in that battle. And let's be people that, that take up this call that, that God has to, to, to be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power and to put on the God's armor and to take up the, the sword of the spirit, this indispensable weapon, and, and, and to be people that, that pray, that, that take up this, this call in Scripture to pray for our brothers and sisters and our families and our friends. To be people that pray. You're, we are all called to pray. All of us. And I know prayer for, maybe prayer for you is just this intimidating thing and, well, how do I talk to God? I can't see Him, all that. It, prayers, it really boils down to a conversation with God. That's what it boils down to. So you see someone in your life that that is going through something and you, there's not some magical prayer or some magical words that you just string these together. It's like all of a sudden the tooth fairy comes out and that's not how it works. It's, it's you see something or God puts something on your heart and you just, you have a conversation with him about it. God, this friend of mine is really hurting. Would you come in God and, and help them? Listen, don't underestimate the power of that prayer. Don't under, that's warfare that you're doing on that person's behalf. And every single one of us can do that. God is calling us as a church. And so as we start this new year, let's be a church that, that goes to battle together. Maybe you can't make any of these times that we have scheduled to, to, to pray together, but I encourage you to, to make some space in your life especially these next three, three weeks, just commit to that. Okay, I'm gonna carve out some space. Maybe it's five minutes, maybe it's half an hour, but you, you carve out some space and you're intentional about praying. If you don't know how to pray, listen, there's this thing called the internet that has a lot of, there's a lot of stuff out there. Just Google, how do I pray? Oh, talk to me, call me, I'll coffee, whatever. Um, talk to someone that's sitting beside you. It's, there, there are all kinds of resources out there that will teach you how to pray, but it's not, like I said, it's not complicated. 
It's a conversation with God. But let's be a church that pursues God together, that seeks God together. Let's be a church that, that goes to battle together on behalf of our families, on behalf of our friends, our city, our county, our nation. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, I, I, I just know, God, that you are calling us, God, in this new year to be just different in the way that we engage in the unseen world around us. God, this passage in Revelation, Lord, is, is eye-opening. God, in regardless of how that maybe it might be interpreted different ways, God, one thing is very clear from that passage, and that, that is that there is a great war going on that we can't necessarily see, God, with our, our eyes. And Lord, I know that today you are inviting us into that, not because we're so awesome, not because we have it all together, not because we're such mighty people. No, you're, you're inviting us into that um, because we're your, your sons and your daughters. And God, that's, that's just part of the, 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 the calling that's on our life is to be people who, like you, Jesus, we, we are people who are about others' freedom. We're about people's healing. We're about, about others' salvation, people knowing you and the, the life the abundant life that you came to bring. And so, God, as your people, today, Lord, we, God, we make a shift from being on the sidelines to going, no, we're gonna be about being, we're gonna be about being in this this fight with you, Lord. We're gonna be about praying and, and seeking your face and letting you work through us for the sake of your kingdom and your glory. And God, I pray that in the next three weeks, God, as we just, as a church family, really devote ourselves to prayer and to fasting, Lord, I want to ask God right on the front end of this that, God, you would, you would do some awesome things as a result of this. God, I pray, um, God, for those parents in the room who have been praying and praying and praying. God, they hear that pray long and hard, and God, they, they right away go, I've been praying long and hard for my kids, and I just have not seen anything happen. God, I pray, God, that, that that, Lord, as we join together as a church, that, God, even the next few weeks, God, that there would be breakthrough, breakthrough, God, that would happen in the lives of those kids who they've been praying for. God, for that, 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 that person in the room that, who's been praying for their spouse, God, let there be breakthrough in that spouse's life. God, for that student who's been praying for their friends, their friends who are just so lost and broken, God, I pray that, God, as we as a church come together and seek your face in prayer and fasting, that, God, we would see breakthrough. Let breakthrough happen. God, in our city, let there be breakthrough. Let there be revival. Let there be awakening, God, as we seek your face together. And God, I'm so thankful that today, God, it's not by our might or by our power, but by your spirit. It's by your spirit. So God, speak to us and lead us, I pray. And, and Father, I just want to pray for all of us, God, those in the room, God, those that are watching online. God, I 